My friend, my friend. How my man. Hi. How, How you doing, Papa? You hanging in there? I know. Yeah? Yeah. You got the hang of it yet? You know, I mean, uh, this high-pitched thing, yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. I, uh, uh, for those of you who do not know, this is Sherman. That is he. I'm a brand new daddy. My wife is doing the Lord's work and everyone's work by uh, dealing with what we refer to as the witching hour, or what everyone refers to as witching hour, which is kind of between 6.30 and 9.30 any night, and uh, and she is... She's taking the bullet because uh, I took the bullet in the middle of the night with a huge, huge, explosive poop at like three in the morning. And no one wants to hear this. So anyway, yeah, things are good. How are you doing, man? <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I tell you, um, I was fired up for this podcast, but more fired up for you being a dad. And uh, Thanks, yeah, man. welcome to the club. And uh, Oh, it's a club. Next- <laughs> Next thing you know, they're going to be running off to school on their own. They don't want you to come with them anymore. And uh, yeah, there you go. So, but um, it's, it's a wonderful do, thing. People do say that. They do say that, that that is a thing. And everyone says it's crazy. And everyone who doesn't have kids is like, dude, shut up. I'm not here for this. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's jump right into it. Let's jump into it. Uh, we're going to jump into it. Uh, I just wanted to say, in case you don't know, this is Sherman. I'm Ski. And we are here to talk you into it. And uh, this week we are doing one of what I think is the most underappreciated. Well, of course it's underappreciated. That's why we do most of these things. But right. but, but truthfully, I feel like critically derided popular acts of the, ni- mm-hmm. of the 90s um, grunge and, and immediate post-grunge boom of the 90s. And that band is Stone Temple Pilots. And, yes, sir. And I want to just start this off by saying I love Stone Temple Pilots. I loved Stone Temple Pilots from the first time I heard them. Uh, I am of the age where it is hard not to. Uh, and, you know, there was an entire cadre of people who derided Stone Temple Pilots for being derivative. And I disagree with them vehemently. So that I, I want to set the table by saying, if you're some kind of critic and say that they're derivative and they're this, that, the other thing, you might want to just stop listening because, I, I, or, or maybe better ski, or I'm going to talk them into giving it another shot. Let's look at a positive. Let's look at a positive. Like if you, you say you don't like them, I'm going to prove you wrong. And so is ski. Yeah. If you wrote them off uh, 25, 30 years ago, uh, I guess we're coming up on 30 years. Oh my God. Oh, 30 years on their debut album core. Uh, <laughs> did we mention we went to college in the mid 90s? No, this is one that's just right in our wheelhouse. I think it's perfect for the podcast just because of how you laid it out. They got slammed at the time. They got slammed be- just because they came after the fact. They came after Nevermind. They came after 10. And when I was thinking about the best way to describe them is like, Stone Temple Pilots were made for these times. They were, they're a band and their sound was made for this era. But because, you know, Core came out after those two other incredible debut albums, um, they, were, they, were, they were slammed by critics. They were slammed by music fans as being just um, a corporate rock wannabe, you know, that, and perhaps their label did reach out to them and say, you know, we, after Nirvana had Pearl Jam had exploded, we need a band like that. We need a band that sounds like this. And they put them on the roster. They 
you know, their got on, um, you know, their, their debut single got on MTV and heavy rotation through no fault of their own. And so you take a step back from that. And I guess we're taking 30 years back from that. Um, they're one of my favorite bands of that era, sleazy, dirty rock and roll um, that outside of that madness, that criticism, it's just a solid rock and roll band. And to this day, the one time I saw them live, I, it's hard for me to name a band that put on a tighter set. They were tight and they deliver the goods. So I'm psyched that we're doing this podcast. When did you see them? Let's get into the live portion of the events. When did you see Stone Temple Pilots? So that was uh, on the Purple Tour. Uh, so their nice. second album. And it was, yeah, I mean, and I've done this on this podcast before, you know, my junior year abroad in Bologna, but it was. And that was one of my favorite, <laughs> that was one of my favorite parts about that year is that, you know, these bands that were probably selling out amphitheaters or even arenas in the u.s you know outside of bologna they're just playing a small club and so my friends and i we'd go to this one um ticket office like every day and just see what, see what was going to be announced who was going to be announced and so they they did the show and the thing is start to finish they were tight i mean God, they were just so tight that's my lasting impression of that show it's like i don't think they had a wrong note i think scott wyland was on the whole show uh, and just kicked ass. You know what I want to see? I want to see the set list from that from that show. I think I'll, you I'll find it. Yeah, I'll that find one it. Up. And yeah. even while we're while I'm chatting, I am not. Uh, I'm not ashamed to. If you want to dig up on setlist.fm, if you can find what the set list is from that show, first of all, you saw you saw Stone Temple Pilots after their best album, Purple, uh, mm-hmm. in a club in Italy. I mean, yeah. you've already. Oh, you've I already, know. You've already won. So oh my god! There's, there's no, there's no ifs or buts about that. You've already beaten 99.9 percent of people that are that you know. I've got nothing to compare that to. Uh, I did see them once. Uh, I will say I saw them. Uh, it was an amphitheater show, but they were not headlining. I believe it was, if I'm remembering it right, it was the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Stone Temple Pilots and Fishbone. That's like a triple there bill, you go. which is there actually you go. pretty good. Um, I'm not saying that it's the same as seeing them in a club. <laughs> amazing. It's a pretty good. It's a pretty. It's pretty good. good. It's, pretty, it's good. pretty good. But and now I saw them right after their album number four came out, which is their fourth record. Um, right. And right. and it was so I think it was that was like the year 2000, I believe. So it was right after Fornication or Californication from uh, the Chili Peppers, and and then SDP was the second band. Now. Um, and Fishbone, you know, was the opener. So Fishbone sets the table. And then Scott Weiland had just been released from prison um, about, I don't know, like a week before or something bonkers. So like this dude comes out. And if you don't know, Scott Weiland, lead singer, some double pilots, this dude comes out roaring. I mean, just like he prowled the stage like one of those like tarantula things from Doom with yeah. like like his because he weighed nothing because he was strung out on heroin all the time. And, right. and, and and I mean, he, but he was psyched to be on the outside of prison, not out of like his a self-imposed prison of like prison, prison. Like he right. was thrilled to be out. He prowled the stage. He just basically ate everybody alive. It was tremendous. And the Chili Peppers like went out and laid an egg afterwards in my opinion and i'm a fan of the band but you know facts uh, are facts facts are facts ketis live a huge disappointment i've gotten into many arguments with very serious uh red hot chili peppers fans and saying like you're nuts you know what you're talking about 
I just, I, he doesn't have the breath support to, to, to sing those songs. I don't want to digress too much. Tell you who did Scott freaking Wyland. He, it was incredible. And I'm just really, it's the only time I saw them and it was, you know, more than 20 years ago now. Uh, I'm sure it was either 2000. I think it was 2000. Um, but holy shnikes, what a set, what a show. Um, and they're awesome. Um, it, so it's tough. So we, this was kind of an audible on my part, uh, dear listeners, to like do Stunt Up Applause. We have all of these other um, bands kind of lined up like in like, you know, uh, in a queue to say, okay, well, which ones are we doing next? Which ones are we doing next? And it just hit me like on Sunday afternoon. And, and it wasn't because they were on. I haven't listened to them. I didn't even listen to them prior to this. So kind of flying by the seat of my pants a little bit here, Ski. Just let you know, this is a little, this is going to be a little bit more all loosey goosey for me. Uh, so in terms of what it is, but you know, if you've never listened to them, you really can't, there's, there's, Three records, their first three records, you can't go wrong with. I'm just going to touch on something else real quick, and then I want to hand it over to Ski and let him pick the first track. <laughs> um, you know, you said you said something interesting uh, in your little lead up here. You were like, "Oh, well, maybe some record company executive went like, you know, dumpster diving." We've kind of talked about that specifically. We talked about that with the Gin Blossoms, uh, where there was yeah. a sound that was out there, and like, and I feel like it was like a post Counting Crows thing where they were like, "Oh, let's find something that kind of sounds." ish you know like like yeah, you know exactly. mr jones ish and then they pulled the gin blossoms out of uh, out of uh, a dustbin because it, they had released a single uh, you know mrs rita that didn't take off and then hey jealousy hits and the rest is gin blossoms history right but e- even if we want to say that a band like gin blossoms or a band like live that had you know two spectacular first records you know you got to say, like, in, I don't care who found these guys or how they came about. And I still feel like they get derided too much. But they had three kick-ass albums unequivocally. And I'm a fan of all of the first four because I think number four is a terrific record. Terrific. And I thought it was a return to form when I first heard it. Um, so there it is. I'm going to lay that out. But, you know, the first four albums from Stone Temple Pilots is Core, which has a lot of the songs that everybody knows on classic on classic rock now, actually, which makes me want to vomit. Um, <laughs> the second album, which is known as Purple, which is also basically a self-titled album, but like it has a, um, you know, uh, it has lettering on it that is, I believe, I believe it's Mandarin, and it says Purple, uh, and it's terrific. And then the third record, which was way more poppy and shiny and different, but it really holds up very, very well is uh, Tiny Music, Songs on the Vatican Gift Shop. That's their third record. And then their fourth record is called Number Four. And there is almost nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with the first three records and there's not much wrong with the fourth. Well, and I would say, I would just quickly add to that and because we'll get into this, but I think you're exactly right. We talk sometimes about like, you know, bands with the first two albums. And with this band, you can you definitely make the case for first three. And I would put Number Four in there with them. Yeah. And in Shangri-La-Di-Da, they're, sort of like their their swan song of that initial era um which is one of those albums that it just you know it, it was just one album too many for a band that was already falling apart i think yeah. um and so it, it just didn't do it but i'm gonna put in a plug for their well like i say they've had two self-titled albums but the, the one that came out in 2018 with their new singer um scott wyland of course has since passed away and they replaced him with um a singer who, if you listen to the album, it's it's you know it's a Scott Weiland lookalike. So they almost went like the journey route of like, get me a guy who sounds exactly like our original singer. Are you talking and about the, Jeff Gut? 
Yes, I am. And the <laughs> album is amazing. I love it. It was one of my favorites of the year, Meadow, which I'm not going to pick, um, you know, for songs to talk you into, but I want to just get that out there. Like the core of the band still makes great music. And I think they, you know, they decided, look, we're just going to, we're going to tour. We're going to bring somebody that sounds like Scott and we're going to do the songs and we're going to keep earning a living and God bless them for doing so. But you have those first four albums from 92 to 99. And again, this is why the podcast I think is perfect for Stone Temple Pilots because get away from the fact that they came after Nirvana or they came after Pearl Jam. Yeah. Just listen to the songs and listen to the music. It wasn't their fault. You know, they were the two of them, I think Wyland and, um, Robert DeLeo, the bassist, they got together in like 85 and they were, you know, playing music in the early 80s and started recording in the late, in the early 90s. And it just so happened that the Seattle scene blew up. And I think labels were just looking for a band with that sound and it fit perfectly. I mean, their, yeah. their sound fit perfectly with that era, turning the corner, you know, from the 80s to the early 90s to the, the core of our you know, college music fandom, that alternative uh, modern rock uh, MTV 120 minute scene. It was, it was made for that. And their videos were made for heavy rotation uh, on MTV. And I have a note on one of their songs um, off the debut album, but it might be one of your picks. So I don't want to get into that now, but it's, they went for it and they seized the opportunity and they got criticized for coming later than the others. And it was completely unfair in, in hindsight. And I knew it at the time. And especially when I saw them live, I was like, wait a minute. You know, these guys were the tightest bands I've ever seen. Um, they don't deserve any of that crap. Excellent. Excellent. And now, since we're already about 15 minutes into it, Ski, your first choice. Or do you want to go first? I mean, because, you know, this was your pick, so I don't, you know. That's true. It was. It was. Why don't you go first and I'll play off of you and I'll, I'll go after. God bless you. God bless you. You know, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm. I want to say I'm kind of winging it here a little bit. Um, I am too. I've been going back and forth all day on my pants. <laughs> just to let you know. So it's this I, again. I, I I do think I do think it's pretty hard to try try to pick um, the. I mean, emblematic. Uh, you know what? I'm just gonna do it. I mean, emblematic song of that era. Great, great track. We'll go with Interstate Love Song. It's yeah. kind of hard not to go with Interstate Love Song. Um, it it kind of also happens to be the only one that like will wind up on your like a karaoke list, like for whatever reason. Um, the, that seems to always pop up as, as possible. It's nice and short, but it's it's a road song. It fits in. I mean, obviously, it's a road song. It's named as as that. Um, it's a it's just a great pop track. It's just a great pop track. It's got that grunge sheen on it. You know, let's also give a shout out quickly to Brendan O'Brien who produced absolutely I every yeah. one of these four albums that we're raving about. I mean, um, he definitely did four. He definitely did Cork. Looking at it, um, I, I want to believe that um, you know, yeah, he did Tiny Music, and I'm just looking for proof. Finally, at the end here, Brendan O'Brien. Yep, produced by Brendan O'Brien. All four of these records produced by Brendan O'Brien, so they're great. Um, you know, uh, Interstate Love Song, like it just starts out with a guitar lick that you just know it has that Stone Temple Pilot sound, right? Is Rob, is, is it Robert DeLeo is the bassist and the, but the brother, the other brother is. The guitarist is Dean. Yeah, it's Dean, Dean DeLeo. DeLeo. Yeah. Yeah. Let's give a, let's give a lot of credit to the DeLeos because they just don't get the credit. They don't get the credit that the two dudes from Pearl Jam, uh, Stone Gossard and Jeff Ahmed, they don't get that credit. They don't get that like dynamic duo credit. But these guys were freaking songwriters, man. And and they know how to write a hook. 
and they didn't care and they were making money and they also didn't care. And you know what? I got no problem with that at this point in my life and nobody should have had a problem with it when they were 23 either. Like nope. these guys know how to write a great song. There's just, it, it's rhythmic. It's catchy. You remember it. Um, what is not to love about interstate love songs? I mean, like it, it's, it's, it, it was a huge charting hit. That it did. Um, yeah. you know, I, 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 I'm usually a little rough on these, but looking at it, it hit number two on the alternative rock chart, uh, in the United States hit nine on the alt rock chart and hit number one, on the U.S. mainstream rock chart in Billboard in, um, in 1994. And it's the third single from, from Purple, uh, the second record, which, you know, I think really sold right off the bat because it had Big Empty, which was that song that is one of those classics we talk about uh, that, that doesn't have the, the title in the chorus. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's... Uh, and I, I don't think it does anyway. Um, but it was a song from the Crow soundtrack. And that Crow soundtrack was a huge deal in the early 90s, people. If you, if you weren't there, you didn't know. But there wasn't anybody. I mean, the Crow soundtrack, how long was that at the top of the charts? And it was driven by, you know, w- one of the songs on this record, uh, on, on Purple. So Interstate Love Song came after that. And, um, yeah, I love it. I mean, I just absolutely love it. It's great. I mean... You know, and I'm probably going to regret having you go first because that would have been my first pick. <laughs> but that's, that actually makes me feel better about this song that I am going to pick, and I'll explain why. But no, I right. look—it's a—it's a beautiful, radio-friendly, you know, ballady, you know, with a country twang to it. Um, yeah, yeah. And when I, I what I one of my lasting memories of that show is I think Scott Weiland was trying to get really deep about you know the meaning of the lyrics and the meaning of the song oh, no. and maybe he like stopped himself when he realized <laughs> that probably most of the people in the audience aren't understanding a word i'm saying you know um and so finally he because just you're all Italian. <laughs> right you know except for me and a couple of my american buddies i was with but you know at some point he just stopped he said ah oh, fuck it this is interstate love song and like the crowd just went nuts and you know they played it and it was awesome it's you know there's a reason why like i think on these podcasts we sometimes try to veer off you know the the go-to's and you know the ones that you would expect but it's i think it's the number one song on spotify i think it's the number two on apple music and yeah there's a reason for that it's just it's a gorgeous beautiful song and for the band themselves they just wrote great songs and that's what I remember about STP is like great songs, tight live set. I don't, I couldn't really, I can't speak to in this podcast, like, you know, Robert DeLeo's bass playing or Dean DeLeo's, you know, guitar riffs or Eric Kretz's drumming. It, they're just, they're a unit. They're, uh, they're, they're just a complete unit. And Interstate Love Song is a, just a great example uh, of that. And so I think it's, that's just a solid pick. That's a quintessential track. I mean, like, it, it, you know, I mean, you know, it, it's, they, this is what they're known for. And I don't feel any shame in, in, in calling that early. Um, again, there are many choices that we can take. And I don't know if you're going to go deep. I don't know if you're going to go with a deep cut. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to go. I don't know what you're up for. I don't know what you're up for. But I, I do want to give shout outs to the Julio brothers because they're just they're just disregarded. I mean, we you know, we talk about the we talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in an inordinate amount they're never going to get called. No, that, that's, it would, it would, it would take, uh, I don't know, I, a life-changing pandemic. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe folks will, or a, a podcast. Um, no, they're not. I mean, I, I just think, because like the voters right now are the ones that destroyed them at the time for 
just for the fact that they came after. I mean, and again, it's like through no fault of their own, you know, their album uh, came after Nevermind and uh, and Ten, and so I, it's it's just unfortunate. Um, it really is. Yeah. So, but yeah, like, Interstate Love Song is just it's it's just a beautiful ballad from them, um, and it just showed they had chops. I mean, they could write great songs, and I think that's those kind of pop melodies um, may have been lacking in other, you know, alternative rock bands uh, outside of the, the Jim Blossom side of alternative rock um, and go see that podcast. Why I think it's crazy that, you know, Jim Blossoms is fell into the alternative rock moniker, but uh, <laughs> nevertheless. I know. I know. Um, I know. but yeah, interstate love song is it's, it's beautiful. I love it. And that would have been my first pick too. All right. We did it. It's on the board. Go ahead. Family feud. What's next? So, I mean, so I wasn't going to pick this as my second one. So Interstate Love Song was going to be my first one. I really wanted to pick this one yep. uh, as my second one. But I thought, I, I can't do another, like, ballady type song. But since you did Interstate Love Song, I'm going to mm. do Sour Girl off of Four, um, which is one of my favorite Stone Temple Pilot songs. And it's... For me, at least, has the same kind of qualities: the the ballad, the the lyrics, uh, the the melody, um, the harmonies on the chorus. And so, um, I was hesitant to to pick it because it doesn't have that that crunching, sleazy guitar sound that I think most of their their songs are, are known for. But it's just a beautiful, gorgeous uh, ballad, and it came later. It came after their first three is on that fourth album, which you know, like I said, I still put it in the. the the band that has four great albums in the category. Well, the fourth is not, it's probably just near great, um, but I love Sour Girl. And so I had to pick that one. And I'm glad you picked Interstate Love Song because otherwise I would have left it off. All right, let's talk about four. Uh, first of all, I just, let, let's do that now. I think that this seems to be the right time to, to talk about four. First of all, I think Sour Girl is terrific. Uh, I think it's a cool, cool choice, man. I really do. I'm a little worried we're getting soft, but at the same time, like I can't argue that pick because it's a it's a it's a great. I think it's a forgotten gem at this point, and it's not like it didn't chart, and it's not like it's not on their greatest hits, and it's not like people don't know. Like you'd know it if you heard it, but like, but like it could play. It could be on in a coffee shop now, right? Like it, and I I don't mean to be nasty about that because I I think it's a great choice, but like it's you. I think people would. I think some people might be surprised that that was like to know that that was a Stone Temple Pilots song. Do you agree with that? Am I? Am it, I... Could, it it could be. And I guess one thing that I often think of when I'm getting ready for these podcasts is is Jamie, my wife, humming along to the songs I'm playing, and she was humming along to Sour Girl, you know, and right. And so that's like the way that she left me. It's a great song. It's a beautiful song. It's just a beautiful song. And look, I mean, I'm going to amp up the volume, you know, with my next pick. Don't get me wrong, but I I was going back and forth about it because like I really want to pick up. Like I can't do two you know, slower ballady type songs. Um, and so, yeah, when you, when you said Interstate Love Song, I'm like, I'm going to get this one. I'll make this one my first. Um, and it is, it's just catchy. It's just, it's catchy and it lingers and it lasts. And it's probably like their last great, at least from my perspective, single, um, you know, because Shane Roddy Dodd. The charts bear that out, unfortunately yeah. for them. So, the charts bear that out. And it's just one of those songs that I think you... <sighs> It may, I'd be curious to see if my daughter is into all the, the singing competitions, the American Idols and the voices. I could see somebody, you know, one of those, you know, 
dropping young contestants uh, pull out Sour Girl um, at some point. So we'll see if that that happens. Um, but yeah, I, it's it's just one of my favorites, and so not of their you know traditional classic sound. Um, but again, that that just I think separates them from some of the other contemporaries is that Scott Weiland always cited like the Carpenters as an influence. And so they were not afraid to embrace the melodies and not afraid to embrace uh, the ballads. And so- Well, at um, the risk of potentially like, of potentially uh, ruining a, a pick of yours coming up. I mean, they absolutely have a strain of, I don't want to say country, cause that might not even be totally accurate. I mean, but, I mean, certainly a country artist could cover Sour Girl right now and people would be like, oh my God, I saw a double pilot song? Like that would work and, no one, and you wouldn't bat an eyelash if you listened to it. You wouldn't right. know the difference. Um, right. But they always had that. I mean, their acoustic yeah. cover of Plush, you know, which is their hugest song from the beginning, right? Or bigger than Creep. I mean, that was their, their big song from Core, their first record, the one that kind of absolutely through. The yeah, acoustic absolutely. version of Plush is dope i mean like it's on their greatest hits as like the last track um you know it's like they can do that you know Mm -hmm. again uh, you may mention it or you may not but you know lady picture show is is another you know ballad kind of thing big empty is 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 a mostly quiet song it's kind of a stocky song for sure um but like a creep off of core creep creep is, creep yeah. is slow i mean creep yeah. is slow and plotting it's a little bit i feel like creep is a little more like a, a little more sludge rock a little more like a little more in that like like a different version of a sound garden thing um you know a compliment from me but you know some people may not be as as <laughs> instead but they could write i mean pretty penny off of purple sounds yeah. like sour girl too and they also you, you know let's talk about brendan o'brien again um the producer he could sequence a goddamn album i mean like you look at the people that he's produced he's produced dylan he's produced springsteen um he's produced acdc he's produced the black crows album shake your money maker he's produced the chili peppers you know he's you know he's done he's done he's done oh, pearl jam hasn't he yeah he's done pearl jam too yeah he's yeah. dylan yeah. on uh, mtv unplugged like he's done He's done almost any, he's done, and he's done like Rage Against the Machine. Like, he's done a lot of shit. Like, he's done a lot of great records. But man, does he know how to get the most out of these guys? Absolutely. You know, and, and they know how to play like these, like, Pretty Penny is a killer, killer song. I mean, like, yeah. if you like Sour Girl, you're going to like Pretty Penny. Like, it, it's not, it's that those are not, those are not mutually exclusive things. Um, so, yeah, man. I mean, what? I think they can, I mean, sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, I, you, you mentioned Plush. And so I'm going to jump in there with, yep. you know, one thing I was thinking about when I was listening to Plush today is, you remember how on 10, yeah, I think Pearl Jam's first single was uh, Alive, and then it was Even Flow. Right. And everybody knew at the time that if they release Black, Black is going to be massive. It's just going to be, it, it, it would have been all over MTV, <laughs> would have topped yes. the alternative rock charts, it probably even topped uh, the, the, the top 100 charts. I mean, it would have been massive. And Pearl Jam held back. They held that one back. That, nah, we're not going to do it. You know? And to this day, it boggles yeah. my mind that, that they had that kind of restraint. And so it's not a criticism of STP. But Plush is another one of those songs that like, the record executives must have heard that and said, holy cow, this is going to be huge. And because it just fit the time. It fit the era. It fit the sound. 
It was a massive rotation on MTV. And yeah, it's, it's their most streamed song now. And I'm not faulting them for putting it out there, you know, by any means. But I thought about how, like, you know, they heard that. They knew we want to get that out there. That's going to be massive. And Pearl Jam, you know, heard, had Black and they held back. Um, yeah. It's just another w- example of how, you know, Stone Temple Pilots is looked upon in a certain category and Pearl Jam is looked on in another. And I don't think that's fair. Again, I don't fault them for putting out Plush um, because, you know, they're still trying to establish themselves. They're still trying to, you know, gain a following. And because Core is so huge, Purple goes to number one as soon as it was released. Um, but again, it just, that song, Plush, just fit the sound and the era perfectly and they got rewarded for it and then they got criticized for it as well so well i felt like i feel like you know part of their issue is no fault of their own is that they're a band that came out of san diego of course and totally 100 like, and, and like like i mean like i mean can, like what's the other band that you can name that came out of san diego smash Blink 182 smash Sorry. did Blink 182 come out of there like but like even Blink 182 has some respect like nobody respects smash mouth like ever you know like they never did like from the beginning you know like if they it, it wasn't a seattle sound is my point is that like the is that the kanye shenty would only authenticate genuine seattle music at that point that was it it was that was the sound of the area and if you didn't come from there you were knocking it off you were tra- you were cashing in, um, yeah. It's not like STP was listening to Nirvana, Soundgarden, and Mudhoney and saying, "Ah, that now that's our sound." I mean, they, they developed the sound on their own, and it, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's through no fault of their own. Their album came out after through no fault of their own. They're from San Diego for crying out loud, and that just added to the criticism, which is so absurd when you think about it. Thirty years hence. It really, it really was kind of an unfair thing. It, it, it made it seem like they were just inauthentic, where maybe they were just music fans. I mean, they came from a classic rock background. And I'm going to cite a couple of songs that are not mentioned yet, but I, I think is really important um, that they released. They did in their covers. You know, they did a cover of Break On Through to the Other Side for The Doors. And... That seems exactly in the wheelhouse, especially with uh, the third album from uh, Tiny Music, Songs from the Vatican Gift Shop. That vibe totally matches with them covering The Doors. The, the album cover of Thank You, um, which is their greatest hits record, is just all these all these sunflowers in a field, which, you know, it's, they're a hard rock band, so there's some, uh, clearly there's a great bit of irony there, but they were based in this kind of like psychedelic 60s roots, You'd never really get that. You know what I'm talking about, though? Like, you don't get that. I don't feel like you get that sound that comes through. But, like, I feel like that's where they, they built their bedrock. And that's different than Alice in Chains. And that's different than Soundgarden or Pearl Jam. I mean, Pearl Jam might be the closest analogy. And I think the ones they're most compared to, as you're comparing them in the middle of this podcast, <laughs> I don't think they, but I don't think, no, but they don't get compared to Nirvana very much. They get compared, they get called a, a, a Pearl Jam knockoff because Scott Weiland had a song. No, that's. Yeah, that, 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 I, was like, I was waiting for that to be mentioned in this podcast. And that was the other thing. It's like, uh, you know, an Eddie Vedder ripoff. And we've all been at karaoke and we've all sung plush and imitated Scott Weiland's voice. Everybody's done that. Everybody in this podcast has done everyone that. Po- everyone on this podcast. Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And by everyone on this podcast, we mean Sherman and Ski. Yes, we have done yes, that. Yes. Not together. Um, 
But, you know, the one other one I want to get to, and I don't know if you ever remember this, because I think you were in Italy at that time seeing them in a club in, uh, and, and not listening, to, not buying uh, albums at the Devil's Den in Dickinson College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. But I bought this tribute to Led Zeppelin record, and it's called Enconium. And it's really, it's, I, I don't know if it's completely actually out of print or not, but I know my CD still works. And, and they covered Dancing Days by Led Zeppelin mm. and that and that actually charted that was a ch- that was a charting single that came in between purple and tiny music songs from the Vatican gift shop and their cover of dancing days is exquisite it's an exquisite cover of Led Zeppelin um and if you haven't heard it and it's on Spotify and I don't know because I again I'm finally seeing my pants a little bit this time I don't know if it's available on Spotify but it is I hope it is so we can put it on the companion playlist because it is terrific it is it is one of the best zeppelin covers i've ever heard um so they were rooted in actual musicianship guys they weren't a knockoff band they were a band that sounded like another very popular band and and they were not and they were and And yes they wanted to sell and they wanted to sell records but i gotta tell you you know spin doctors wanted to sell records too and nobody gives a damn and nobody should about anything after the first spin doctors records. Cause they all sucked and they were out, they were out for the money, you know, like they are bands that are out for the money. You know, the counting crows didn't come out with, I'm going to go there. The counting crows, you know, have really dialed back things and they just, they just tour when they want to, because, you know, they, they stopped trying to make, I think they stopped trying to make records that, you know, that, that really were after anything, you know, like they, there, there's some bands that like just either they sat back like counting crows or what they put out. Nobody wanted like spin doctors or something like that. Like, and there are bands that just like, you know, they, they were having naked ambition at that point in the nineties was, uh, was a scarlet letter at that point. I don't think it is now. I don't think anybody would care. You see celebrities doing commercials all the time and nobody that's an eyelash about whether or not like someone is quote unquote selling out, but selling out was still rooted in that, baby boomer you know aesthetic of like you know don't sell out because that means you're inauthentic and we shouldn't buy your album you know that started in the 60s and still was going on in the late 90s and the mid 90s and you know pearl jam had never sold out but but it was easy to take a dump on stp and uh i just think it was wrong i just think it was wrong i you're not going to get any arguments from me obviously i mean i think that you know to their credit they kept putting out for four albums in a row great quality records and like i said i think that their 2018 album um is one of their best i mean it's up there with the others and it just it doesn't have that same you know i don't have that same emotional connection to it because i'm not in college anymore and it's still 30 years later but if i take a step back and just listen to it and i would say god it's just dirty sleazy hard rock kick-ass music and so um yeah, I, I hope they get a chance to, to tour again. And as much as I would have loved to have seen the original lineup again, I love the fact that they're still, you know, making music um, and putting out records. So, What do you think about the fact that there was this period where they played with Chester Bennington of Linkin Park? I prefer, to forget, I prefer to forget that era. I, well, um, I, I, so. understand, I understand that <laughs> and I get it, you know, but at the same time, like, you know, well, what are your thoughts? Like, I ask this as, you know, as I will always bring up at any opportunity, you know, when In Excess was in that period, you know, post uh, Michael Hutchins killing himself, 
um, you know, where they were derided for so long for not being you two. And, you know, you and I could talk about this till we're blue in the face, but like that was the unfortunate parallel in, in the United States for a lot of what, what they were doing. But, you know, they didn't have the original lead singer anymore. This is the point. And they, they, NXS did Rockstar, which was a t- television show on CBS in the mid 2000s, where they auditioned for the replacement lead singer. And, you know, I'm not going to tell you it was Michael Hutchins. J.D. Fortune is not Michael Hutchins, but he sounded like Michael Hutchins, like a dead ringer sounds like Michael Hutchins. And you know what? There were other, there were five other guys in that band that probably wanted to pay their mortgage, you know, and they all, and the other five guys all helped write the other songs for the previous 20 years before Michael Hutchins killed himself. I've saved that to set up that the DeLeo brothers and Eric, uh, what, what's it? Not Wentz. What's his last name? Eric? Kretz. Kretz. Excuse me. Kretz. Like, those three guys deserve to work. Like, who am I to tell them they can't work? Who am I to tell them they can't sing with Chester Pennington, even if I don't care, or Jeff Gutt? You know? Like, who are we to, uh, yeah, who are no, we I, to say I, that now? I love the Jeff, like I said, I love the Jeff Gutt album. I just have a thing against uh, Lincoln Park, and we can do a whole separate podcast uh, on that. Well, uh, but to, to your now, overall right? point, to your overall point, no, I don't. It's really, I guess, is a case by case basis for me. Like, I don't That's fair. fault, you know, some bands for like Alice in Chains is one, um, you know, and I certainly don't fault STP for like trying to, you know, continue on and find another singer. But I've talked to you about this before. I, I can't get into Queen with Adam Lambert, um, you know, I, and we can have a whole separate podcast on that. But that's one case where, like, no, I, I think that I think they need <laughs> oh, to pack it up. Have- and, we're going to have a separate podcast called The Replacements. You, we're going to do you, that. And it's you can't, be yeah, you can't like say like, oh, no, we're still queen uh, without Freddie Mercury. Can't do it. Can't do it. Um, but, you know, that's just a person. So it's subjective. It's, it's it subjective. is. It, totally. I totally cop to that. Absolutely. Okay. okay. Just curious. I mean, again, this is not me calling you out, by the way, because like, hey, if the Jeff Gutt record's good, I'll listen to it. Like, sure. Why not? You should. I mean, at this point, like at this point. We're, we've all lived through so much other crap. What difference does it make? I'm going to get to my third pick since yes. his ears are bleeding. Um, I'm going to go a little. I'm going to. I feel like we haven't represented a terrific record, and therefore I'm picking this song, which I think kind of rips. Um, it is the first song of what would be like the second side of a cassette tape, if you had a cassette tape, <laughs> or the middle of your compact disc, as it would be for me. Track seven off of uh, Tiny Music, Songs from the Vatican gift shop. And the song is Trippin' on a Hole in a Paper Heart. Mm-hmm. And I just think that song rips way harder than it should. It's got a, a, a shiny pop sensibility to it. It does include that sleaze that you've mentioned a few times, that, that the good sleaze. Mm-hmm. Uh, that good San Diego sleaze, you know, if we can make Love something it. up, um, you know, but it is, um, it, it, it builds, it's one of it. And it, the drums are really good. Eric, whose last name I screwed up, his drumming is terrific on that, on that track. The riffs are, the riffs are hot and heavy. Um, and it just, and like, it was a hit, it was a hit song, but, and Scott sings the hell out of it. So um, if you're not familiar with Stone Temple Pilots' third record, um, it's a gem. I mean, like, it is It is just as good as Purple. 
uh, I think it holds up. Let's just put it that way. I think it holds up just as well as purple. At the time, there was there's nothing that could top purple, and I still think it purple's their best record. But like it is like just a shade, a shade under. But it, I think it's their second best album, uh, and I think uh, I, I think I think it it's. It's, and it's all, it was a bit of a swerve for them at that point. I agree. Um, no, I was just about to say that. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. There's, there's. I mean, it's a, it's a great album, top to bottom. Uh, but go ahead, chime in on no, I that think album. It, it, or that they, song. they were still growing at that time. You know, they were challenging themselves and trying to, you know, find new ways to express themselves. And tripping on a hole in a paper heart is a perfect example of that. Um, it you know it wouldn't fit on core and i don't think it would fit on purple even but they were stretching no. themselves you know and one of the first singles off that album um big bang baby is another example of that just you know mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna try and you know we're gonna try a different a direction here for the stone temple pilot songs so it just gets back to the fact that they were just great songwriters and the essence of the band was what you know made and that was the essence of the band that made them great um, and so I'd love the fact that, you know, tripping on a hole in a paper heart was just one of those songs that, yeah, he probably didn't expect it was going to come out of them, but they still had it. And, uh, uh so I, I just think that's a great pick and just a, a pure example of, you know, how good songwriters, uh, they were and how they just, they, they wouldn't limit themselves. They wanted to stretch themselves. I think they were still doing that on Shangri-La Di Da. It just, it, didn't work as well and that at that point i wanted them to go back and and do that you know uh a core uh you know early core sound um which actually i think you know now that i think about it, they did with uh, jeff gut on the, their 2018 record so yeah <laughs> yeah continue with the God plug that jeff Heck, yeah, never man. had this much publicity um, well he, he was on the x factor so he's had a little publicity okay all right today. but anyway yeah i mean yeah. I, I don't listen, <laughs> I, I was very disappointed in shagger la i was not i was not likewise it. um i i I, I wish they didn't do it. Um, you know, days of the week is there, but you know, but I want to get back to trip on a hold paper heart. It is. Yeah. It's sexy. It's a sexy, grimy song. It builds to the end. Um, it, it like he, he just, he just sinks both teeth into, into singing that. And then when he's like, I'm not dead and I'm not for sale. Like it's like, it's like, it's really, it's, it's loud. It, it does have a bit of a Zeppelin riff come to think of it. Um, it it's, it's, it slaps that, and, and also it came out in 1996. Like I think yeah. that was like just at that point when like people were starting, people who would become majorly popular in the 90s were starting to go even shinier radio. You know, even a little bit poppier, a little bit more like you know what we want to make sure that we have an earworm here, guys, and we got to get it on there. And Brendan O'Brien knows how to produce a, a song that sounds that can get on the radio. Like he knows how to, he knew how to do that. He had, clearly had a good enough rapport with these guys that he got the, he got the best out of them. Like you know, yeah. you know, there's no there's no question out uh, out of it. And so I think the reason I wanted to, to pick that one is that it's indicative of the band. It, it kind of goes with our ethos of this podcast. It's indicative of the band at that point and that record. So, you know, if, if you like, if you like Trippin' on a Hole in a Paper Heart, you're probably going to like most of that record. And I vouch for that record clearly. Um, you know, it, it's, I think it's terrific. I think it's a terrific, terrific album. So, um, yeah. Do you have anything else to say about that album? Are you picking a song from that album? What's your, what's your I'm next not gonna, one? No, or... my second one is not going to be from that album, but okay. it was sort of, it was like, it was just, it was so awesome to hear them. Like I said, keep growing. And you always, you start to wonder like, you know, 
was this next album? Is this going to be the one where, you know, they, they jumped the shark, um, but they, they succeeded. And I like, we were talking about, you know, I don't think they matched quite matched it with four, but they came pretty close. And then I think they, they fell off with Shangri-La. I think the first seven songs off of four are, 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 are really, really like, if they, if they somehow like only like stopped after eight songs, I think, I think we would talk about number four in the same way that we talk about these other ones. Because I, oh, I, 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 I truly believe that. Like, I, that, yeah, I, I think, you know, we talked about this on another podcast, but let's bring back the eight song album. It, it's okay. Song album. It's, fine. it's okay. It's, totally fine. it's fine. If they're it's eight fine. great songs, they just have to be. Anyway. <laughs> Forget so, the filler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enough. Let's talk more rock. All right. What's your, what's your, What's your last pick on one of? I, I'm so glad that we that we that we that we swerved to do this one. Like this is this is super fun. So my fourth pick is Vaseline. So I'm going back to the Purple album, and I mm. thought it was the lead single of uh, that record, but it was Big Empty actually. But Vaseline was the one that I think I just remember seeing and hearing first. And it's great. Re- and great and we talked about this, you know, before, but. Yes. My radio station in college was MTV, um, just straight up. And so I remember watching this video. And what I loved about it is, yes, it's just a simple, crunchy guitar song. Um, and but I remember thinking, you know, they're, they're taking a step forward. I mean, we just talked about, you know, Tiny Music and how they kept growing and trying different things. And after Core, Core had, you know, Plush as one of their big hits, Sex Type Thing, which is actually, you know, Speaking of influences, it reminds me a lot of Kiss's uh, War Machine off of the Creatures of the Night album. And they and, and Sort of Apollo actually did a set dressed up in, in Kiss makeup. So did they I love really? that too. When they did, did that happen? <laughs> I can't remember the year, but uh, I remember thinking, gosh, I would love to be able to do that too. Awesome. So, um, so yeah, I mean, so they were, you know, that just that, that sound, that, that first you know, you know, the, the sounds coming off of Vaseline, you know, out of left field in little, you know, bit off kilter. And then this comes in with the crunching guitar. Um, you're like, God, they did it. And that's my lasting impression of that song is like, God, they, they did it. And it's just, it's, it's one of their more punky uh, songs um, for in, in their catalog. Um, mm-hmm. But I love the fact that they took a step forward. They didn't rest on uh, core you know, with all the crap that they got uh, from Core, they they succeeded in moving the band forward. And Vaseline um, just shows that they, you know, it, it's it's not the you know most intricate song. Um, it's it's pretty straightforward and basic, but with that chorus and that melody on mm-hmm. top of it, it's just a beautiful you know punk rock song uh, of that era. And and I remember thinking, yeah, they got it. I mean, they're not going to be a one album band. Um, and they got, they had two more good ones in them. So that's a really good point, dude. That's a really good point. I'm really glad you brought that up because the, the, the truth of the matter is, is that because Core was such a huge record, they could have been, they very well could have been a, a band that didn't, that didn't have a good sophomore record. And, yeah. they, and, and Vaseline was a statement. It was a statement like, no, we're here. We're loud, and we are, have our own sound. And it and and it is and it and you know what? Vaseline doesn't sound like Pearl Jam at all. No, not at all. No, and it doesn't not sound at like all. Alice in Chains, and it never tried to sound like Nirvana. It doesn't sound like Soundgarden. It doesn't sound like Mud Honey. I mean, like it doesn't sound like Meat Puppets. Like I'm not. I mean, like what what else of that era? Like were they always compared to that? Like it just you know there are bands that should there are bands that should pay royalty checks to Stone Temple Pilots. You know, like you've got bands from the late 
the late nineties and early two thousands, like, uh, that would, that have done numbers like, Oh my God, who am I thinking of? Uh, I want to say, um, not lit lit was like more punk. Um, uh, I was going to say three eleven Eve six, maybe I don't Eve know. Six. No, Eve six is a good one to like say, you yeah. know, they, they were trying to sound like STP. Um, and they would do those ballads like, uh, like they would do ballads that would be catchy. And then everybody's, uh, like, cause then that's a song that's like, put my heart in a blender, right? That's there. That's Eve six, right? Like, put my heart in a blender, the beautiful oblivion, wander through and I'm through with you. Whatever that is. Oh, Days of the New, right? Days of the New was like knocking off Stone Temple Pilots as far as I'm concerned. Remember that band? Like, there were, these, there were these bands that like came stained. I think Stained owes like a royalty check to STP. Like, they had a sound that influenced bands that like, now maybe the world doesn't want to think about those bands either. <laughs> right, right. Like, like, like that's entirely possible. But like, but like that, like that, like thick fuzz, right? There's like that fuzz that Brendan O'Brien throws over these records. It's like, or with yeah. the Delia Brothers, they have the guitar fuzz that kind of covers the whole thing, covers Vaseline, like right, like the, that particular track. Um, and it's awesome. I love it. But like, there's that layer. They're actually doing like more, more interesting things with sound in building layers of sound with a lot of these with certainly with purple. Um, and, and I don't know, I think again, like they're just not respected and I don't, I don't, you know, I, I'll never get it. All credit to them for like in the middle of that kind of backlash and, and, you know, shit that they got. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they still, they hung, they hung together and they put out a great record and look and Scott Weiland, we know, struggled uh with addiction um and lost his life ultimately um so i'm sure that era didn't help by any means um but at least musically the band you know persevered and you know put out you know three more quality albums um and they probably have more in them which is you know too bad and i still (laughs) getting back to the jeff gut album i still still think they had another one in them um that was really good if in 2018. So, um, but yeah, Vaseline off of purple was just like a statement, like, no, we're not going anywhere. And, um, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna continue to rock out and we're gonna be a part of this era, but you know, we're not gonna be defined by the era and we're gonna grow and change and, you know, experiment. Um, and they were successful doing that. So. Respect, respect. Um, that's a great pick. Um, that's a great pick. Uh, are there songs that you want to name check? Um, I feel like there's a bunch that I, I feel are super, super important. It feels like uh, like when we did the the playlist for Urge Overkill and it was all Urge Overkill because it's like I, I don't care. I didn't care about anybody else uh, on that Spotify list. It'd just be like, you know what? You should just, if you like Urge Overkill, you should just listen to this list. I feel the same way about STP with the deep cuts and, and I'm really curious to see what what your deep your deep cuts would be without going too deep into the reasons why um but like you got any deep cuts you want to throw in there well i mean i mean i mentioned meadow off of their 2018 record Uh uh i'm I'm just looking at you know purple again unglued is another one that yeah point to meat plow the lead track uh off of purple lounge fly even um so yeah remains you remember still remains oh for sure absolutely uh, I mean, that's off of purple too. I mean, again, I think purple's, yeah, you know, purple's their 
their masterpiece. So down off of four. I um, love down. It was so yes. good. Down rips. And the thing about down is down's the first song off of four. And it's like, I think it doesn't it start off with that like wow. Yeah. Yeah. Down is great. Down is great. Down is like a statement the way fast lane is a statement. Like I yeah. Yeah. Well, and I and we kind of like I think I maybe name dropped it briefly, but sex type thing was yeah that might have been like their the first that was the first song I remember uh off of uh core um before Plush just blew up. I don't know how they don't hold up well. No, I don't think they ever really held up. I didn't really care at the time, um, I suppose. Um you know, Guns N' Roses has a few problematic lyrics too. Uh, but yeah, I was listening it to the listening to it today and I'm like, well, there's no way I could pick this. <laughs> you know? no. And and so by out is like, oh, they just rip the, you know, the uh, uh, war machine um, from right. this. But yeah, I'm going to make sure that I name check a couple of, uh, of, of other ones here. Um, I think it, it, I mean, you mentioned Big Bang Baby, which is a terrific mm-hmm. one, but 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 Lady Picture Show is a is an awesome yeah. ballad off of uh, Tiny Music. Um, I absolutely love Pop's Love Suicide, uh, which is the second song. Uh, essentially, it's kind of the first song off the record, but um, yeah, but um, but that's a that, great one. That's a great one, and it that's kind a of great set, call. It also sets a table for this whole record for uh, the, the 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 Tiny Music record. Um, and you like it's yeah I, I mean i love that they just went with a the theme throughout the whole thing um i feel like it uh it really works um what else to, is i feel like is important oh i mentioned it before but if you can find the the dancing days cover the dancing days cover of uh of, of zeppelin is incredible incredible thing that they did um I kind of like Church on Tuesday from number four. As I think that's a great record, too, oh, a great song, um, but still remains from Purple. Like I just feel like that is, that is, uh, that is, that is, that is an awesome song. Um, yeah, I mean, and we haven't even ta- and again we haven't even talked about like the the big ones that everybody knows. Like we're not talking about Big Empty that much, and we didn't call Plush out. You know, like um, yeah. we mention them, you know, but like. We're not saying listen to that and you'll get the band. Like I, I, I think I think the most popular one out of all the ones that we've picked is Interstate Love Song. Interstate like, Love Song for sure, no question. Yeah, no question. But you know, like I just again, you know, they're just uh, they need more love, man. They need more love. So I found the date of the show. It's okay, November seventh, November seventeenth, nineteen ninety four. <laughs> I had forgotten, but now remember that Red Cross opened. Uh, for Shut STP, um, the, the, the famed producers of the Donna's second album and one of their masterpieces, Get Skin Tight. Um, yeah, Red Cross <sighs> open for S- STP there. And, and is uh, this at the Vox Club? And no, not this is at the Vox Club, yes, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> um, so I still have my ticket stub around here, here somewhere. I'll show it to you sometime. Oh, I wonder um, how much it cost you. Oh. And the set and there's no set list. Like I, 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 I just thought, did this. There's no set list. Oh shit! That's so disappointing. Uh, and I thought, was that a show where I got a set list? I don't think so. Otherwise, it would have been framed. Uh, I, I would think. have seen that framed in your garage. Um, <laughs> so, but um, yeah, that was my favorite. One of my favorite parts about the year is just yeah, going to this one ticket office every week and saying like, who's coming? Who's coming? Um, 
and uh, yeah, this is a great one. So I have I had forgotten about Red Cross opening, but now vividly remember that, that is and, uh, clutch yeah. as hell, dude. Oh my god, that is great. Yeah, I mean, like I was, uh, I was so glad I got to see SPP. I, I truly, I, I'm pretty confident. Um, just looking through this, I mean, I'm trying to find. Uh, I, ha- I must have it. Um, or maybe it's with my. Uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers records of the uh, ticket stub to know exactly which date it was, but you know, I do know the first song they played was "Down." They, they did, and he just came out. Roaring. What a great opener! What oh. a great opener! Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they were plug. I mean, yeah, they were plugging. They were hundred million percent plugging the record that had just come out. But like, oh, it was perfect. I mean, just beautiful, perfect. Uh, so it was great. It was great, great stuff. Uh, I feel like I'm just on the verge of finding this thing. Okay, wait a minute. Let's see. This is it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah, it rocked. Yeah, They're fantastic. You, they were great. Absolutely. Yeah, great. you name you name check County Crows. I think I saw County Crows at the Box Club as well. I have to double check that. Too, see, but that so. might have been good, like especially at that time because they were just like. Oh, it was so good and. Yeah, I mean that, that was the, the set where they did Mr. Jones acoustic for the encore, and Adam Duritz did not get the reaction that he was hoping for, and he just said at the end of it, he said, "Well, that's how the song goes," and slammed the mic down, <laughs> walked off the stage. Oh. <laughs> wow, well, that's how the song goes. Yeah, that is. There's nothing else to say. Else I think say. we did it. I mean, like, I think we, we talked to people into it. And like I said, this is the, this is what the podcast is made for. Stone Temple Pilots. Step away from, you know, the, the backlash of 1992, 93 and take another listen. And uh, yeah, and apparently to, be here. to the 2018 record. Um, I'm you, I'm telling you. Do. No, Steve, you've talked me into that. I will absolutely listen to that record. Um, you know, at some point, whenever it is that I uh, step away from the changing table, I will absolutely do that. Yes, there's no question about it. Well, yeah, go, I, rele- go relieve your wife. You know, I will. I will. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. This is Sherman. This is Ski. And I think we talked you into it. Yes, sir. Thank you again for listening from Sherman and Ski. Sherman and Ski is created and hosted by Josh Sherman, Sherman, and Richard Harper, Ski. It is produced by our good friend Micah Joel, based in London, England, and Josh Sherman. Original music composed by Mr. Micah Joel. Follow us. We have an Instagram account, which is at Sherman and Ski, which is S-H-E-R-M-A-N-A-N-D-S-K-I, and a Facebook page by the same name, Sherman and Ski. If you haven't subscribed already, please, please, please do so because Sherman is very needy. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Pocket Casts, Breaker, Radio Public, and Overcast.
at the moment. We'll see. If you want us to tackle a particular artist, we are totally open to suggestions. Email us at edrooneysoffice at gmail.com. And that's Ed Rooney spelled E-D-R-O-O-N-E-Y-S office at gmail.com, which is Sherman's email. Thanks so much for listening and for following and sharing with your fellow music nerds. And we'll see you down the road. Thanks.